Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. What's up, Hope? How are we? Good. You are awake today. Well, I have heard a lot of good things about last week. Uh, Some of you felt super, super encouraged. Some of you felt very, very challenged. Uh, But God is doing something awesome in our midst. If you're just tuning in and you missed the past few weeks, we're in a series that we're calling Made for More, where we're talking about the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us, which we talk about a lot around here. But also the crazy truth that as Christ followers, we can get in on that forgiveness and we can get in on the eternal life but we can miss out on the abundant life in the here and now. And that's such a heartbreaking thing to see when a Christ follower understands the gospel and knows Jesus, but only know half of what he wants for them and all these different areas in their lives. And so we as a church don't want to be that way. Uh, We want to step into the life of more. We want to step into God's plan for our life, not just in eternity, but in the here and now. And I love how Paul actually puts those two things together in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. I've been reading this book, kind of the, the, the epistle that this this uh, whole series was birthed out of. And he puts this, this eternal life in the here and now together. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus in order to or for the purpose so that we could do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we say that God has a plan for our lives, a lot of times we think of meeting our soulmate or we think about uh, stepping into that dream job or a family that we might create one day or, um, or all these awesome experiences. And that's part of it. But God's plan for your life, for every single one of our lives, also includes uh, the, the mark that we will make in the world, the influence that we will have, the impact that we will have, how he will use us to expand his kingdom. And so part of who God has made every single one of us to be is a doer of awesome things for his glory and other people's good. And so today I want to talk about one of the main hurdles that is going to stop us from experiencing that in our life. And it's not our culture. It's not other people. um, It's not Satan or the spiritual realm. One of the biggest enemies that will hold us back from experiencing God's plan in our life is really us. It's us. Like when it comes to God's best, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. And it's because we have this crazy habit of doing something that no other created thing does. You know what it is? It's probably a long list, but it's one of them. It's we create excuses. We make excuses. Like when my dog Tucker, he's a little miniature schnauzer. If you want him, just let me know. I'll be happy to give him away. But we've had him for a few years. He's got loved on. But when it, whenever I catch him having an accident in the house, which doesn't happen too often, he never looks back at me and says, look, it's raining outside. I had to go here or... You fed me three pieces of pizza last night. That's why I had to go inside. No, he just hangs his head and like goes to his crate, right? But when I catch my daughters doing something, man, 
automatic excuses, right? And uh, we're, we're all good at making excuses, but some of us are more gifted than others. I actually found a list online where a boss had collected all the craziest excuses over the years of why his employees couldn't come to work. You wanna hear some of them? Too bad, I got the mic, you're gonna hear them. All right, it says, uh, I got my fingers stuck in a bowling ball. That's a real one. Uh, I slept funny on my arms and they have been asleep all morning. Uh, one person said, I can't get my cat to stop hiccuping, so I need to stay home. Uh, one person said, I dreamt I was working and didn't realize I needed to wake up. One person said, my dog is depressed. Uh, this is a great one. I went to get gas, but I couldn't get the cap off because my hands were too moisturized. So I had to call my boyfriend to come and do it for me. And that's why I can't come in. That's a real one. And uh, the last one, my favorite, a chicken attacked my mother. That's why I can't be coming in, right? I'm sure you have some creative ones too. But if you think about it, excuses are these, these weird things because they're actually hurdles that we put in our own path ourselves. Like I think back to my life and I just started asking this question this week, would my marriage be different if I hadn't given excuse after excuse of why I couldn't change this area or why I couldn't love Jenny this way early on in my marriage? I think it would be. Would my parenting be different if I hadn't given excuse after excuse in those early days? What would my life look like if I never gave one excuse? I think it'd be radically different, right? Can you imagine that? When we make excuses, it's not just us that miss out, right? When excuses don't just rob us of the abundant life, it also robs others of the difference that God wants to make in their life. And so the truth is when it comes to good works that God has prepared for us, a wise man once said, you can make excuses or you can make progress, but I don't know anyone who's good at both. So today I wanna to look at a person that's very familiar um, who almost let excuses stop him from experiencing God's best for his life. And I think that all of us are gonna be able to identify with him at some point. His name's Moses and God has a huge plan for his life. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter three and chapter four. Um, if you don't know, the people of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. This is a part of God's plan that he told Abraham about in order for the country to get large and the people to grow in number, uh, but the time had come to set them free. And just like it said in Ephesians, God had made a masterpiece. God had a handiwork to lead these people to freedom and his name was Moses. Now Moses, if you don't know, he was Jewish. He was an Israelite, but through a crazy turn of events, he grew up in the household of Pharaoh. Um, but when he was there, he committed a horrible crime. He committed murder. And so because of that, he's been on the run as a shepherd for the past 40 years. Well, one night God appears to him in the middle of a burning bush. And this is what he says. He says, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. And Moses hears this and he's like, yes. My people are gonna get free. This is what I've been waiting for my entire life. I get to see this with my own eyes. But then God starts saying crazy stuff. He says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Now that's a shock. But first look at the word that God uses in verse 10. It's that word must, that word must. And I think when God uses that word, Moses kind of flashes back to that moment he saw an Egyptian beating up 
an Israelite, and he felt deep down in his heart, that's not right. That's wrong. Something like that must be stopped. That must not happen. Those people should be free. They shouldn't be enslaved. They're not second-class citizens. This whole Egypt, Israel thing, it must change. You ever felt a must like that in your life? Like a should? Like you see a homeless person on the side of the road, you're like, things shouldn't be that way. Or you hear about this atrocity called human trafficking, you're like, man, that just should not be. You ever feel that, that have to, that, that moral imperative? Well, if you ever have felt that, pay attention to it. Because God's going to use that sense of moral imperative to help lead you in the path that he has for me. If you ever feel it's not that, that something could be, but that it should be, and that the world will not be right unless that thing comes into existence or that that wrong is right. If you ever feel that, that's a good hint of why God puts you on the earth. But here's the thing. What we tend to do when we feel that moral imperative is we point our finger at another person or another group, right? We see this tragedy. We say they should really fix that. Or this group should really step up and do their job. Or somebody should step in and do something. But what we see in the Bible is that the people that feel the should be the strongest are usually the people that God has marked out to make that difference. God's solution to the problem that you feel the most passionate about is probably you, right? So that's why you feel it so strongly. And that's what we see in Moses. God's saying, hey, you feel that, that must Moses? You feel that moral imperative? You feel that strong should deep inside your heart? Well, good, because I'm sending you. You must go. And it's at this point where he hears that word you that all the excuses start spilling out and probably even more excuses than Moses even knew that he had because here, here's what happens. You see that, that feeling of should, that moral imperative, it doesn't just happen overnight. If you feel that deep in your heart, it's because it started and it's been growing day after day, week after week, year after year. And what that means is the fact that you haven't acted yet means that you have convinced yourself of reasons not to. It means that you've subconsciously been putting hurdle after hurdle, excuse after excuse in the way. And that's what the rest of the conversation shows us. Moses is an excuse factory. He has so many excuses for, to be exact, but I'm sure he could have come up with a lot more if he wasn't talking like the God of the universe who has a tight schedule, right? Uh, but what you're going to see is that um, even though Moses is one of the heroes of our faith, he's not much different than you or me. Look at, look at what Moses says in response. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And that's excuse number one, I'm not good enough. And I don't think that Moses is talking about his talent or his skills here, because that comes up later. I think he's thinking back to that time where he did murder the Egyptian, right? The Egyptian was beating on the Israelite. He murders this guy in cold blood. He buries them in the sand. The next day, he comes across two Israelites fighting. And he says, well, that shouldn't be either. And so he, he, he makes a move and tries to stop them from fighting. He tries to wrong. He tries to right a wrong. He tries to make something bad uh, stop happening. And when he does, one of the Israelites turns to him and asks him a very similar question to the one that Moses just asked God. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you gonna kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Who are you, Moses? 
Who are you to tell me to stop fighting when you committed murder yesterday? Who are you to take the moral high ground? Who are you to point the finger at me? And I think for 40 years, that question had just echoed in Moses' head. Yeah, who am I? Who am I? And when he gets in front of God, it just spills out. Who am I to tell Pharaoh to stop enslaving my people when 40 years ago I murdered one of his? And some of you probably felt the weight of that. You've been in a similar circumstance and you know how, how weird of a position that is. Like, who am I to start trying to fix my marriage when I'm the one that broke it? Or who am I to tell that person about Jesus when I used to mock religion with them? Or who am I to help that person out of addiction when I was right beside them using just a few years ago? Who am I? But look at what God says in 312. God says, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. God answered, I will be with you. He says, yeah, you messed up. You messed up really bad. Good thing you won't be going along alone. I am going to go with you. And just because you got it wrong in the past doesn't mean I can't use you right now to make it right in the present. You see, listen, if that excuse is holding you back from stepping into all that God has for you, you need to know this with the exception of Jesus the only type of person God has ever used is a flawed person, a broken person, a person with the past, a person who was a part of the very same darkness that now God wants them to shine a light in. So that excuse may feel real, but it's, it's not. So that hurdle, that excuse is gone. But Moses is just getting started. Look at what he says next. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And it's excuse number two. I don't know enough. I'm not an expert. God, if I do what you say, they're going to ask me about you. They're going to ask me about our history. They're going to ask me about religion. They're going to ask me all these questions that I don't know the answer to. So if you really want me to do this, let's pause this whole freedom thing so I can go get prepared so I can learn what I need to learn so that I can become the expert that I need to be. You ever felt that? You ever, you, maybe it's just me, you ever read books about how to fix your marriage for six months, but you never actually tried to fix your marriage because you're trying to learn all the stuff? You ever listen to sermon after sermon about the importance of sharing the gospel and never once just shared your story with someone that's in your life? Yeah, we feel that. A lot of us have put off being obedient to God so that we can prepare in order to do it one day. And that one day never comes. But what you see in the Bible over and over again is you don't have to be an expert to step into God's plan. Um, when I'm explaining it to like small groups and stuff, I say it's the difference between uh, being a lifeguard and going skydiving. That's not gonna make any sense, but let me explain. Uh, when I was growing up, I was a lifeguard from the time that I could be all the way until I got married actually. And so I would work every single summer. I was an aquatics director at a camp. When you wanna be a lifeguard, you do have to become an absolute expert. So you gotta prepare for every situation. Uh, you gotta know how to notice distressed swimmers. You have to know um, how to rescue someone who's drowning, duh. But you also have to figure out if someone skins their knee on the side of the pool, you have to know basic first aid and you have to know how to call 911. You have to know how to test chlorine. And if there's a spinal injury, you have to learn how to use one of those boards. And so by the time they let you become a lifeguard, you have become an expert and prepared for every single situation. 
the complete opposite of my experience when I went skydiving. And you would think that skydiving is a little bit more dangerous. The stakes are a little bit higher. No one told them. I went when I was in a, it was 18 years old. It's for my birthday. My mom went with me and I'll never go again. Scariest thing I've ever done. Um, but we show up and it's this little farm field in South Carolina. And I expect to be at least an hour or two of training. I mean, I'm taking my life in my hands. Nope, there's this little tent and a video, and the video is basically like, hey, if you die, you can't sue us. You sign this? Okay, great. And then they put you in this weird jumpsuit, but they attach you to an expert. That's why they don't have to train you, right? And so they attached me to this guy, and I'm like, I don't know how to pack a parachute. I don't know what elevation is safe to jump out of a plane. I don't know what elevation you should pull uh, the whatever cord it is to get the parachute to come out, but it didn't matter because he did. And so I successfully jumped out of a plane and survived because some dude said, hey, stand here, okay. Lean back, okay. Lean forward, okay. Wow, I'm outside. Put your hands out like that, okay. Pull this cord, awesome. Wow, I'm floating now. Lift your feet up, put your feet down, you're on land, right? And I didn't know a thing. That's what it's like following after God. You don't need to know everything because he does, see? He says you don't need to know all the answers before you start. Um, he actually says his reply is, um, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And he goes on this speech, but he basically says, if they ask you that question, what my name is, here's what you can tell. Them. And then he says, and if they ask you this other question, which by the way, they will, then you just tell them this. And then when you tell them that, they're going to go do this. And here's the response that you need to have for that. And when that happens, some people over here are going to start doing this. And that's when I'm going to ask you to do that. And he's like, Moses, here's step six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. You want me to keep going, right? You don't have to be an expert because I'm going with you. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. I'll fill you in along the way. And so Moses says, okay, that excuse is gone. Let me try again. Chapter four, verse one, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me? Or listen to me. What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Saying, God, what if I go and say that thing and they don't believe me or uh, they, they doubt me? What about the other people, God? And this is actually seems like a pretty legitimate excuse because in order for God's plan for your life to work out, other people are going to kind of have to cooperate, right? If you are going to get that dream job, it's because a person in that company sees your resume and likes it and then they have to call you in for an interview and then they have to want to hire you. If your marriage really is going to change, your spouse, another person has to get on board and buy in. If you're going to start that nonprofit or that ministry, other people are going to have to catch the vision and they're going to need to, to want to volunteer and to be generous. So Moses is saying, God, you said that you're going to be with me and working out your plan for my life, but will you be with the other people? And that's excuse number three. It's the fear of people and God does something weird. And I didn't understand it till I was um, writing this sermon this week. I think this is what God was up to. He gives him three miracles that he can do. Um, basically he says, throw down your staff and the staff turns into a snake. He said, pick it back up. And Moses was like, you sure? Yeah, pick it back up, turns into a staff. And then he looks at his hand, his hand has leprosy, sticks it in his cloak, brings it out, it's healed. And then God says, if those two don't work, then just take some water out of the Nile, pour it on the sand, it'll turn into blood. And there's these, these three miracles that he can use anytime he needs. Three miracles that will prove that this whole freedom thing is not a Moses thing, it's a God thing. That anytime he needs it, he can prove to God's people, hey, the God of the universe is with me in this. So what God's really saying is, you're right, they may not believe in you, Moses. 
They may not follow after you, but I guarantee you they'll believe in me and they'll follow after me. And here's something that I've learned through my short time in ministry. It's so key. Um, as a leader, like in a church, you can try to lead God's people towards all sorts of stuff. You can try to lead them towards your own goals and your own plans. Or as a leader in God's church, you, you can do your best to lead them towards God's goals and God's plans. And what I've figured out is that the people of God are really good at spotting the difference. And it's because they know God, right? The sheep know his voice and they have his spirit inside of him. And because of that, here's the truth that you can bank on. When God's hand is on it, God's people will get behind it. If you're chasing after things that God has called you to chase after, the people will follow. The people that you need, the funds, the help that you need. Now, if you're chasing after your own kingdom, no promises there. But if God's hand is on it, God's people will get behind it. If you're chasing after God, you don't have to worry about other people. So that takes care of that excuse. But Moses has one more excuse up his sleeve. And he's desperate at this point. He says, but Moses pleaded. It's not protesting. He's pleading with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. And I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Moses is saying, hey, God, you're not, you're not asking me to lead a, like a, a war, like a battle, are you? No. Well, that's a shame because I think I, I could probably do that. Killed a guy with my bare hands like 40 years ago. And you're not asking me to like politic Israel's way into freedom. No, that's a shame because I could probably do that. I was raised in Pharaoh's house. I know all the movers and shakers. No, are you, you just want me to give some speeches? And God's like, well, kind of. You want me to lead people with my words? to cast vision and inspire change. Well, that is a shame because that's the only thing I absolutely cannot do. I have a stutter. I don't form coherent sentences on the fly. I've been hanging around with sheep for 40 years. They're not exactly poets, right? The one thing I'm weakest at is the one thing that you're asking me to do. And it's excuse number four, I'm not gifted. And in love, let me just say, this is such a lame excuse. <laughs> Remember our verse at the beginning? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Like God created you with those good works in mind. Whatever passions or skills or talents or experiences you have, they're the ones that you need to have for the job that God is calling you to. He made you for this. So don't cast doubt on what the potter has made out of clay. Don't call into question the tool that the artist has chosen to use. Listen, you are perfectly designed to accomplish what God calls you to do. And this is what God says. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear, do not hear, see, or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now be quiet and go. I'll be with you as you speak and I'll instruct you in what to say. And that hurdle, and Moses gets to a point where he looks behind him at all of these excuses he thought were so strong and so logical and so carefully reasoned and articulate. And they're just lying in the dust. And that's what God will do to your excuses if you'll let them. He'll remove them. Or he'll let you see them for what they really are. Just these lies that you've said so often, you just started to believe them yourself. 
And what you notice before you get to his last request, it's not an excuse, it's a request, is that all of these excuses are really just meant to do one thing. They're meant to keep Moses safe. All of these excuses are to keep him comfortable, are to keep himself from danger, to keep himself from risk. And that's true of you and me too. Like my my daughters can come up with a thousand excuses for why they didn't clean their room. They just wanted to stay on TikTok, right? And we can come up with excuse after excuse why we can't work on our marriage when the truth is we don't like the idea that we would have to personally change. Or we can make excuse after excuse for why God could never use us to start that nonprofit or that ministry when in reality, we're just really afraid of failing. And that's a possibility. Andy Stanley says, excuses are often selfishness disguised as humility. We make all these excuses just to keep ourselves from risk. But at some point, you follow God hard enough, you're gonna get to a point in your life where you see that wrong that just needs to be made right. You see that need that needs to be met. And you feel that, 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 moral, that moral compulsion, that moral imperative. And you feel God so strongly tugging you into it and pulling you into it that me, he may have marked you out to, to, to meet that need. And you get to this point where you finally realize the riskiest thing you can ever do is to do nothing at all. Because if you do nothing, nothing's gonna change. If you stay the same, the wrong's never gonna be made right. The real risk isn't stepping out in faith. It's just keeping the status quo. And I think Moses is right on the verge of feeling this, but he still has just one last request. He says, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. God, I agree that this needs to change. I agree that I have no excuses left. And I agree that you want to use someone to bring about this change, to start this new beginning. But is there any way you could use someone besides me? And look at how God responds. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. He became angry. And this isn't like an anger that stems out of judgment. And it's not this anger that comes from God not getting his way. It's the righteous anger of a father who loves his child and wants what's best for them. It's the anger of a parent that sees their son or daughter missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime. He's angry because he loves him. When you look at all of your excuses, listen, do you know what's on the other side of those excuses? Do you know what would happen if you laid them aside and chased after God? You don't. That's the point, but God does. He knows that if you just lay those excuses aside, you'd have a flourishing and life-giving marriage. You'd have an amazing relationship with that kid who needs you so much. You would have uh, a dark corner of the world seeing the light of the gospel. And so God, as a good and loving father, is calling you into a life that you never dreamed of that is so much better for you and so much better for all the people that are around you. And he gets angry when we hem ourselves in. And we keep ourselves out of that plan all because of a few lousy excuses. So because God's so good and he's, so, he's more committed to Moses' abundant life than Moses is, he doesn't give up. And he says, okay, how about this? You don't have to go alone. I'll send someone with you. 
and he's a better speaker than you, but I'm gonna surround you with some, some people that can help you out in this task. And that's what God did. And Moses finally relents. He says, okay, let's go. And we know what happens, don't we? Not only does God use Moses to free his people, but so much more. He uses Moses to reveal his character. I mean, he's the guy that brought the Ten Commandments down. He uses Moses to transform them from a nation of slaves, really, into an organized nation of warriors that could take the promised land. Moses leads God's people and trains God's people. And when all is said and done, Moses is the one that, that gets them to the place where they're ready to inherit the promised land. And God knew that he was going to use Moses for so much more than just freedom. But he doesn't tell them in this conversation. And that's just like God. I think if God said, hey, this freedom thing, that's just step one. If he would have revealed step two through 28, I think Moses would have wet himself, right? But, but Moses gets to experience God's perfect plan for his life all because he walked away from his excuses and his fear and he took that first step. And when you get to the end of Moses' life, you figure out it was never about Moses at all. It was never about what Moses, who he was or what he could do or what he knew. It was all about God. It's all about just him putting his faith that God could do that through him. And it's the same with you. What's that must in your life? What's that, that moral imperative? Is it letting go of your past? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your kids? Is it your finances? Is it human trafficking? Is it foster care? Is it caring for a school or some teachers or single moms? What is that thing in your heart that, that God just won't, let die and it just grows stronger and stronger. What is it? And now what are your excuses? What are your carefully crafted lies that you've been telling yourself? Prevent you from stepping into that. What comes after all those becauses? Well, I could never do that because I could never have that type of, because I could never start that or step out here because, and then this evening, this week, are you willing to lay that aside? Are you willing to come to a place where it says it doesn't matter what I know or don't know, who I am or who I am not, what I have and what I don't have. All that matters is that God's asking. And I'm not gonna let excuses keep me from the abundant life anymore. That's a choice that you can make. And when you get to that place, get ready. Because God's about to do some amazing stuff just like he does in this story. I have always thought about fostering. It was something I always had an inkling I would end up doing, but I just always put it off. And at one point I was turning 30, I was divorced, I left a job that I loved, and so I was having to start a new career. And it was building my life from scratch and I didn't know what anything would look like. I knew about foster care. Um, my, mom, my mom's a teacher, sister's a teacher, so I've heard about kids that need homes. And so it was always on my radar, but I always came up with excuses why not to. I knew that I couldn't bring kids into an apartment that smelled like mothballs and pickles. I knew I didn't have a job at that time where I could have the flexibility to raise kids on my own. I was broken. 
I went through a huge life change and I felt so unbelievably like one of the worst humans ever. I just felt unworthy and like there was no way to go up from here. From then, I just took little steps and figured out a way to build a life again. And that life ended up being one that made it so I could be a foster parent. When I talk about my placements, we have to be really careful about what we share. So for me, I refer to my current, I call my kids, my boys. They went through a lot and I wasn't their first placement. They were with their siblings for a while and then they all got separated the week of Christmas. And they were just dropped off. Here's their stuff, Merry Christmas everyone. And I, I remember finally getting them settled into bed and looking around going, what are we gonna do? They're not with family, they're now with this random human who has a bunch of animals. Are they gonna be okay? I remember looking around my house at one point, taking it in as someone who's never been there and being scared and just wondering, what can I do here? I don't know, I don't know what to do. Even sitting here with these children in my house, I don't know what to do. We had to learn how to get along with each other. They had to learn how to get along with each other without a bunch of other siblings around. Foster parents aren't necessarily given a whole packet of, here's what to know we know about these kids. Sometimes the county doesn't know anything about the kids. We're sitting here figuring out, where are they educationally? Do they have any allergies? We don't know, are they allergic to foods? You sometimes don't know until you feed them that food. I have friends and people from the church, men and groups that have stepped in and they take the boys and do nature things and sports and just encourage them and they're a safe place for them because I, I cannot fill that role in their lives. So I'm lucky that God's given me other people who can. I fully believe not everyone is called to be a foster parent and that's okay. Not everybody's meant to be a foster parent, but there is something every single person can do for foster children. Just by supporting foster parents, whether that's meal trains, uh, donating resources for tutoring. Are you a tutor? Are you a teacher? You can give some extra time. Giving babysitting services. Do you have kids in that same age? Can we meet up for a play date? Things that used to give me anxiety and I used to worry about. I'm like what? <laughs> Look at these two humans I have to try and keep alive. They have centered me in certain ways that have made me realize the little things are the little things. We can get through that. And the big things, God's gonna get us through those things. I thought I had faith before. They have showed me what it means to truly rely on God. And they have showed me what it means to live a life that's not just for you. There's something about when the kids aren't your own kids and you're loving them, it's even more of a choice to love them. So you can't always live in the feelings or in the hurt. Because these are broken kids who are gonna try and break you sometimes, but you have to choose to love them. 
that has changed me in the way I see Jesus's love for me, that has changed me. Me and my parents' relationship has changed dramatically. It's changed my whole perspective of life, honestly.